All right, last Sunday, of course, was the Sunday of all Sundays, the celebration of all celebrations, Resurrection Sunday. We had a ball celebrating who Jesus is, what he did for us. And the message last week, I hope if you, if you did not hear it, as I know we had people traveling, I would hope that you would listen to it on the podcast, because it's really the foundation of this series. We're talking about reversing the curse. And I'm going to hit today the word redeem. Next week, we're going to talk about renew. The following Sunday, we're going to talk about restored. And that'll take us up to Mother's Day. And I'm going to unleash my wife on you uh, in all of her uh, glory, all right, uh, to share. And that's always a highlight for our ladies to have uh, Pastor Marion uh, just pour her heart out. I also want to say before I get going here, Gina, you brought your family here. And I'm not going to put everybody on the spot. But basically, that whole row of people there, you're responsible for. So we want to welcome all of you guys. Welcome to Living Stones. So glad you could be here. But this was the cool thing we talked about last week. Why in the world does the King of Glory, the Son of God, the Creator of the universe, allow himself to wear a crown fashioned by thorns, to have that thing beaten on his head, covered in blood, Go through the agony that he went through. Why in the world did he do that? And we shared that it was no accident on God's part to allow his son to experience that because we said that the the thorns go all the way back to Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 3, the fall. The thorns and thistles are always a sign of a curse that God has placed on planet earth and a curse upon us uh, because of our sin. The Bible also says that the wages of sin is death. So the curse is always associated with ultimately death. And so this is a serious thing. So why does Jesus get this crown placed on his head? You remember, it didn't stop there. They scourged him before this happened. His, his whole uh, torso was shredded. He was covered in blood. They, they ripped off his robe that had probably coagulated to his back. They ripped that off. Uh, and they put a mocking king, a, a mockery robe on him, and they handed him a little reed And they bowed before him, and they mocked Jesus as being a fake king, all right? And then they got close enough to his face that they spit in his face, and they unleashed the venom of hell upon the Son of God. And I want you to see this. And he stood there holding this stupid, ridiculous, mocking reed, wearing a gown that should have been fit for the king of glory, but was a gown of mockery blood covering his entire head and face and torso, and he stood there as they mocked him and spit in his face. What's this all about? We shared how, imagine this, the king of glory, because of his love for us, humbled himself so much that the Bible says he came down here under the curse, born under under a woman, right, under the seat of a woman, born into the curse, He humbled himself to be a king in our realm. How many of you know the picture we have of him is really a picture of ourselves because of what sin has done to us? The minute Adam and Eve rebelled against God and fell from that exalted place of being sons and daughters, of being joint heirs, co-regents with Christ, ruling and reigning with him, the minute we said yes to sin and we rejected God, we were humiliated and reduced to a fraction of what we were created to be at that time. How do you know sin will always destroy you? Sin will always rob you. Sin will always hamper you. Sin will ultimately destroy you and lead you to hell. But Jesus Christ took the mockery on and became king of this kingdom. He, he became king of the kingdom in which we live so that, check this out, he could die on that cross, raise again from the dead three days later, and because he was willing to wear our curse, 
he was also able to rise from the dead and have the authority to reverse the curse that's on us. Now, this is the good news. He took our place. And I just, I just want to go to one passage. We didn't have time to get to it last week. But look with me. You can look on the screen, or if you've got your Bibles, open them up this morning. Isaiah chapter 53. I want you to notice how many times the word our, O-U-R, is used in this passage because he's referring to us. Look what it says here. Surely, speaking of he, meaning Jesus, Jesus has borne our griefs. He carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. The bruising that he took was for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And with his stripes, the ones that he took for us, the Bible says the result is that we are now healed. All of us, like sheep, the Bible says, have gone astray. We've turned, every one of us, to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. Can you see where Christ took your place and my place? But I want you to see that as a result of sin, we are damaged goods, all right? When Christ comes to redeem us, he's not redeeming a bunch of folks that have it all together. And if you're here this morning and you're under the illusion that you've got it all together, you're really in deception. Jesus came for broken people, broken-hearted people, wounded people, pierced people, rejected people, people that have been cut off from God, people that are hopeless, people that are rejected and lost. Those are the people Jesus came for. And, and so when we look at reversing the curse this morning, and what's amazing is when, think of, I want you to think with me, how many times in the Bible we come across words that begin with the prefix re, R-E. Of course, that if, you're, if you're up on your English this morning, we probably studied this at some point in our education, but the prefix re simply means to return to a previous condition. How many re-words can you think with me this morning that are biblical words, theological words? Like, how about regeneration? How about revival? How about reconciliation? How about redemption? How about renewal? Uh, think of how many times the gospel is centered around taking something that has been damaged or twisted or broken and restoring it. There's another reword, Restoring it and turning it into something that is of equal condition or better condition than when it was found. I just want to tell you this this morning. The gospel never throws anything away or anyone away. Jesus is absolutely committed to your full restoration and healing. And here's the cool thing. When he's done with us, we're as good or better as, when, as he created us to be in the first place. He's always in the salvaging business, and that should be good news for all of us today. He'll never look at you and say, sorry, you're too far gone. He'll never look at you and say, sorry, you're too broken. He'll never look at you and say, you know what? I'm just going to scrap you and start with somebody new. How about even with planet Earth? How many of you know God's not going to destroy this planet? He is going to restore this planet. God doesn't throw anything away because think about it in this, in this regard. If, if sin could mar any one of us to where we were just without hope, then basically Satan would have won the contest. Uh, it would have been basically that, you know what, Satan's power to damage us 
is greater than God's power to heal us. And I'm just telling you, that's an absolute lie. That's why we're full of hope today. That's why it doesn't matter. I don't even have to know every single situation in this room. I know the one who's come to redeem every single situation and person in this room. And he's no respecter of persons. And no matter what you've went through, it's not greater than God's ability to restore it Uh, to its original condition, or supersize it and give you some extra, all right? That's the good news of the gospel. So I want to spend some time this morning, I'm going to go through this quickly, Uh, but I'm going to spend some time talking about seven precious truths surrounding this wonderful doctrine called redemption. When we talk about the word redeem, it, it means to free someone from bondage. Say that with me, to free someone from bondage. How many of you are in a candidate for that? If we've all known bondage in our life, we've all known what it's like to be trapped or to feel like we can't get out of a situation or, or, or out of a sin. But it also involves the act of buying something back or paying a price to return something to your possession. So when we talk about Jesus being our Redeemer, we need to lay some principles. Principle number one is that we are slaves. Now, We're living in a culture today where most of us have never experienced slavery, or probably any of us in this room have experienced slavery, at least not to another human being. But how many know the earth is full of slavery even today? Um, And slavery in the ancient world in which Jesus was a part of when he came to reveal his redemption was full of slavery, and so it was not unusual in the marketplace to find slaves who were being bought and sold by other people. How many of you know it's our nature, apart from Jesus, to enslave and dominate other people. That's who we are as sinners. That's what we do well. And I'll just say this too, although in America we've dealt with white-black slavery issue. How many of you know slavery knows no color boundaries? People of all different races and colors have all been enslaved and also enslaved others. So this whole idea of of enslaving people is demonic to its core, and it's something we've all had to deal with. So when Jesus uses the term redeem, it comes from the context of slavery. The, the slave market, was, that was that Greek word for redeem, was the, referred to the slave market. It also referred to someone called a redeemer. Someone who would go into the market and buy somebody out of their condition and set them free. That's the picture we have here. But how many of you know you cannot experience redemption until you know you personally are a slave? Can we just confess that this morning out loud together? Say it with me. I am a slave. That's how I came into the world. I loved Andrew's illustration. We don't have to teach people how to act like orphans or how to act like slaves. How many of you know when you're a slave, you you own nothing, you have nothing, everything has to be given to you by your master who doesn't like you, doesn't care for you, you're mistreated, and so you develop this notion that if you're going to survive, it's all up to you. That's the orphan spirit. The orphan spirit says, God really doesn't have my my back uh, covered. He's really not going to take care of my needs. I have to do it all myself. That's a slavery mentality. God wants to move you from a slavery mentality into a sonship mentality. But all of us have felt the, the sting of having our little ice cream cone taken away. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? That's because we're born slaves. You don't have to teach little Nehemiah that, that, that this whole notion of orphanhood or slavery because he's born that way. That's how we think. God has to supernaturally deliver us from that mentality. Look at what it says with me here in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. 
You used to live in sin or under this power of sin, just like the rest of the world. You obeyed the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit who's at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. How? Well, it tells us, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. The King James uses a stronger word, God's wrath, the curse, God's judgment, uh, the punishment for for the curse being death, uh, just like the Bible says everyone else. This is important. You know, we live in such a sophisticated, anti-supernatural society, but the Bible's very, very clear. Satan is real. He doesn't have a long tail with a pitchfork and little horns. He's not red. You know, can't dress up like him, like on Halloween, stuff like that. Um, that's not Satan. But Satan is a spirit who is at work in the world today. And the Bible says everybody who's not yet been redeemed is under the influence of Satan or of his demonic kingdom. Now, again, this is offensive to some people uh, who are much more sophisticated. You say, well, it's not me. I'm not, I'm not under the influence of Satan. But here's the cool thing about the Bible and what the Bible teaches. There is no neutral ground. You're either under Christ and his kingdom or you're under the kingdom of Satan. Now, here's the problem. We're too sophisticated in our demons, all right? I'm telling you, the biggest demon you got to deal with is every morning when you brush your teeth or shave. Because most of us live under the kingdom of self. See, before you're born again, it's all about you and it's all about me. Am I speaking to the right crowd? And how many of you know even after you're saved, you still got to deal with your own stinking self-centeredness. It wants to rise up and resurrect from the grave. So let's just be real. Jesus was real. He said, look, before, you, before I came into your life and redeemed you, you were under the direct influence of Satan. Now, I'm not saying you were all demonized, possessed, foaming at the mouth. You don't have to be that. You can just be left to your own fallen, carnal self. And that's wicked and demonic enough. We all have things where we've hurt other people, where we had to repent to our kids, repent to our spouse uh, because of what we said, how we said it, how selfish we were, whatever. Listen, we're, you're going to be influenced by someone or something. And there is no neutral ground. You're not just out here as the lone ranger uh, kind of running your show. Secondly, it gets worse. By the way, hang on, it's going to end really good, but I'm setting the stage. I'm telling you, you're a slave. Hallelujah. All right. Point number two your slave master is Satan. Now, I love this passage because Jesus wasn't really politically correct. He wasn't very seeker sensitive. In fact, in John 8, 44, Jesus is talking to the religious crowd, the churchgoers, the Pharisees. And look what Jesus says to them. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. Now, I love the disciples because, you know, they were like Jesus' public relations team. You ever notice that? They were always trying to fix what he said. After Jesus said this, you're of your father, not Abraham, Satan. The Pharisees all went, I mean, the the disciples. The Pharisees did too, but the disciples all swallowed their tongues collectively. And then they pulled Jesus aside. Hey, Jesus, I think they were offended. You know how many times they were trying to soften. Aren't you glad Jesus just, imagine if Jesus looked at you this morning, you're far from God, you don't know him, you, you, you love wickedness, and he looked at you this morning and said, you know what, 
God's not your father. Satan's your father. (gasps) You would be offended. But guess what? It's the truth. Jesus said it. It's the truth. And the problem is you can't get liberated from slavery until you realize you're a slave and your dad is the slave master. Now, I, I hope I'm speaking to the right crowd here. I mean, you know, you can think you're running, you're the captain of your own ship and you're doing your own thing, and you can run your life, and you think it's you running your life, but all the while Satan's back there just cracking up because one of the best things he does is, is to get you to believe he's not really influencing your life, he doesn't really exist, and that you're just kind of running your own life. You're deceived, and he'll deceive you and lead you all the way to hell living that way. There's a slave master and there's two slave masters. One is God Almighty and one is Satan. They, they both treat people incredibly differently as John 10.10 10 reveals. Satan will steal and rob and kill and destroy you. And Jesus comes and gives you life and gives, gives it to you more abundantly. Who do you want to serve this morning? All right? Let's go to the next one here. Point number three. The slave market is this world. In fact, 1 John 5.19 says this. The world around us is under the control of the evil one. I mean, you know, this planet belongs to the Lord. Every one of us belong to the Lord by virtue of creation. When Adam fell, he hands the keys over to Satan, uh, and basically Satan's been running the show. But guess whose job it is to restore and redeem the planet? It's the church's job. This rightfully belongs to Jesus. How many of you know after the ascension of Christ, when he's seated at the right hand of the Father, uh, right before then he gave the Great Commission, and there's something interesting he said in the Great Commission. Listen to me. He said this. All authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. Now go and make disciples. How many of you know Jesus took the authority back that we had given to Satan over this planet, and he said, now you go and and act like you own this place, all right? This planet does not belong to Jesus. It belongs to, to Satan. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our job is to carry forth the redemption of Christ to set it free. But the slave market, this is the slave market we're living in. People use and abuse and misuse each other, and people are in bondage. Point number four, very quickly, our, bar, our problem is sin. How many of you know sin promises more than it can deliver? It always takes you farther than you ever wanted to go. It costs you more than you're willing to pay, and it keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay. Can anybody say amen to that? When you look at maybe some of you are coming out of addictions or you're still struggling with addictions, you never imagined that whatever that thing was that you did to give you a high or to give you some momentary relief, you never anticipated that at some point you would be servant to that high or to that addiction. And some people give their lives for that high or that addiction. Some rob and steal and all the lifestyle that goes with trying to support your addiction is because you become a slave. Uh, And the problem, again, is sin. The Bible is real clear. Romans 6, 6 says it right out. We are slaves to sin. 2 Peter 2, 19. A man is a slave to whatever masters him. Now let me go back to John 8 where, where Jesus said you're like your father the devil. This is how, what he justified. He said, here's why you're like the devil. You love to do evil things. How many of you have figured out that you can share somebody the truth about whatever it is about their lifestyle and say, look, you keep living this way and it's going to kill you. There's people that are addicted to all kinds of stuff that if they continue on that path, it will destroy their lives. And, and, and just like Andrew shared, how I many you know sin is insanity, so you can't rationalize with sinners? 
If you keep shooting up, if you keep robbing banks, if you keep doing this, if you keep treating your wife this way, this is what's going to happen, right? This is what's going to happen. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to see it. But here's the problem. When your heart loves evil, you will twist the truth to keep serving your lifestyle. That's called bondage. When a person will give up their life, their wife, their family, their kids, their job, because they are after whatever that magical feeling is, it is a sign you have become absolutely addicted. And here's the, here's the thing. You love it. Why is it that, you know, I'll just be real practical. If any of us have said, you know what, you got to do this, you got to do that, you got to change your diet, you have to lose weight, you got to stop eating this, whatever, and we're like, what? Give up homemade bread? Are you kidding me? I mean, you know, the worst thing someone could say to me is, Pastor, you're called to be a vegan. I say, shoot me now. Shoot me now. I go out to visit my son in Colorado. Some of the strangest people I've ever met in my life. You're going to eat a carrot for the rest of your life. Raw. A raw carrot. You're not going to have any dairy products. And you can resist eating a cow. What is the matter with you? <laughs> How many of you know the reason I would struggle with that so much is because I love food. Real food. Not rabbit food. Real food. See, here's the problem. We love evil, the Bible says. And when the Lord says, stop it, because he wants to help us, until the desires of our heart change, we are hopelessly addicted to what is killing us. Now let me ask you a question. Who has the power to change what you like and don't like? Only Jesus does. Which is why he has to redeem us from evil desires. Or else we're absolutely trapped in our lifestyle that's going to kill us. But praise God, he has the power to do that. Check this out, point number five. I'm going through this quickly. Point number five. Worship team, why don't you guys come on up here. God sent Jesus as the highest bidder to buy us from the slave market. This is so good. Galatians chapter four, verse five says this. God sent him, Jesus, to buy freedom for us who were slaves. Look at Titus 2.14. Who willingly gave himself, Jesus, to be crucified on our behalf to redeem us and purchase our freedom from all wickedness and to purify for himself a chosen and very special people to be his own possession who are enthusiastic for doing what is good. If we could picture our salvation looking like something like this, we're all standing in the slave market, we're stripped naked. We have, we're, we're, we're full of shame. We have no way to hide ourselves. We have chains on our wrists, chains on our feet. We've been mistreated. We probably don't smell the greatest because we've not had baths. Uh, we're not in good health. In fact, we're probably sickly, coughing, wheezing. We got all kinds of disease. And all of a sudden, on one day, unexpectedly, when we're expecting someone to purchase us and oppress us and abuse us and use us, Jesus himself comes into the slave market. Now, we know Jesus died for the sins of the world, but how many of you know it helps to personalize it because the Bible said he knew you from before the foundation of the world. Imagine Jesus walking up to Chris, 
smiling as only he can smile, eyes full of love that read us from the inside out, know everything about us, and love us unconditionally, and saying, I choose this one, I want this one, and I'll take this one, and I want Chris. And you're feeling like, who am I? I, I have no identity. I'm not, I, my personhood has been lost. I'm rejected. I'm, I'm sick. I'm diseased. I'm, I'm damaged goods. And the Son of God stops and says, I'm purchasing you. Now, it doesn't stop there. Let's get to the next point. Go ahead and roll that one on the screen. This is awesome. The purchase price is his own shed blood. 1 Peter 1.19, but you were actually purchased with precious blood, that of the sacrificial lamb, unblemished and spotless, the priceless blood of Jesus. This is incredible. Some of us struggle with identity. We struggle with being loved. We struggle with what Andrew talked about, this orphan mentality. Does God really love me? Does God really care? Is God really here? Listen to me. He chose you and he bought you at the cost of his own blood. Imagine being purchased with the blood of God. And we ask ourselves this morning, how valuable am I? Does God really care? Does God really care? He cared enough to buy you with that which was most valuable. One drop of the blood of the Son of God is worth every human being, every planet, every galaxy, every carrot ever created, all right? One drop of this, of this Son of God's blood. You say, man, am I, why would he do that? We're going to celebrate that answer for all eternity. It's called grace. It's amazing. Why would he pick me? What did I have to offer? Good question. I ask myself that question too. Why do I know the Lord? Why have I enjoyed his blessings? Why am I here today? Why do I have a smile on my face and joy in my heart? Because I've been chosen by God Almighty. And I don't know why. I was broken. I was sick. I was selfish. I was in bondage. But he said, I'm going to take you out of that family where your father was Satan, and I'm going to bring you into my family. And I, end, I want to end with this, and this is so important. I want to encourage your hearts today. We belong, point number seven, we belong to Jesus. We are his possession. Look at Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the right time came, Jesus enters the slave market. The time God decided on, that's the right time. He sends his son. Born of a woman, born as a Jew, born under the law, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own sons, daughters, kids into his family, never to be rejected, never to be forsaken. What an incredible, incredible gift. Now, I got to share something with you, and we're going to stand and pray here in just a second. How many of you know the problem is not on Christ's redemption being lacking in any way for us to somehow stay in bondage. When Christ bought you from the slave market, he delivered us from slavery to sin, slavery to addiction, slavery to all the things that held us captive. How many of you know his goal in redeeming you was your freedom? What good does it do if we get bought from one slave market and we end in another slave market? What good does it do? I'm asking you. What good does it do? If we get plucked out of the world, the slave market of the world, but then we come to church and we stay in bondage. It's a problem, isn't it? He didn't redeem us so we could stay in bondage. He paid his blood 
so that we could experience full freedom. And, check this out, so that the damaged goods that we were could be over time transformed and healed and turned into something glorious and whole. I mean, you know, I don't just say this as some inspirational speaker, but this is the truth. Your best days are in front of you. Your best you is in front of you. Your greatest healing is in front of you. Your restoration of your mind and your thoughts and your heart is still in front of you. And God is not stopping the process of redeeming and restoring you. Every twisted part in our character, God will straighten out in time for his glory. How many know you're being conformed into the image of his son? You're going to look like Jesus, act like Jesus. How do we know this is, this is true? God shed his blood and paid for your redemption. He paid for it in full. He took the abuse and the curse and the spitting and the crown of thorns so that you could be liberated from the curse over your life. You don't have to live under the curse. You don't have to live in bondage any longer. There's freedom. But let me just say this. I think the problem is sometimes in the realm of the possession. This is what I'd like to see. You know, there are people that almost get to the point where they've developed some great excuses for why they are that they are. And we come up with psychological terms. We come up with medical terms. We come up, we, we've psychoanalyzed ourselves to death. We had all the reasons why we're so messed up memorized. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've counseled some of those people. They can tell me why they're messed up. I don't, want, I don't care why they're messed up. I want to know how they can get unmessed up. If, you're, if your focus is always on your history... And why you're so damaged, you're going to spend all your time looking in your rearview mirror. Let me just tell you how people used to get set free. They would come desperately crying out to God on all fours on their face. They said, God, I'm broken. God, I need you. God, I need healed. God, I'm addicted. God, I'm sick. God, I'm twisted. God, I'm damaged goods. Help me. And there was a sense where you threw yourself into the arms of God. And now we got people that are on installment plan. Listen, if you're going to give to God what he shed his blood to purchase on an installment plan, you're going to get installment plan freedom. If you throw yourself and say, God, I belong to you. Take my life. Take my heart. Take my sin. Take my bondage. Change me. I don't want to be this way. God, help. And you mean it. I'm just telling you, God is supernatural. God can do more when one broken person cries and means it and pursues him until they're free. God can do more than, with that than 50 years of counseling. And, and hear me, I'm, I, am not, I am not denigrating the role of counseling. Thank God we have people that will help us through life's hard times. But hear me, we're not coming to a counselor. We're coming to the counselor with a capital C. We're coming to the God who knows you inside and out. He knows your thoughts before you think them. He knows every detail of your broken, hurt, wounded past. He knows it all. He saw it all. He died for it all. And he has the power in his blood 
to break bondage and addiction because you're no longer slaves. You're sons and daughters of the Most High. Now stand to your feet with me. Stand to your feet with me. I love it when we sing the Word of God after we minister the Word of God. There's a marriage of those two that come together and they explode in our hearts. Now listen, this is not a religious way to end the service. This is a God encounter opportunity. I want us to sing this song. We all know it in our hearts. But I want you to think about what Jesus did to pull you out of the slave market, to bring you to himself to call you by your name, to make you a son or a daughter. You're not a slave anymore. And let's declare this to the Lord. And we're going to have some of our ministry team up front here. If you need agreement today, or you're, you're still in bondage, or you are far from God, or you've never acknowledged that Jesus paid the price to set you free, and you've never given ownership of your life to him, we want to pray for you. So while we're singing, I want you to come down. And we want to agree with you that the full impact and the full weight of what Christ did on the cross would be released in your life today, all right? Let's sing this song together. Hallelujah.